you know, left to its own devices, the system will work in a manner that does not benefit communities. And um, when we're talking about these reforms, I don't know who's better suited than the public defender's office to help usher those things in a correct way. Welcome to the Daily Line Cloudcast. I'm Alex Nitkin. I will be your host this week. Every year, when all the different county offices have their budget hearings, you can always tell when it's the public defender's turn, because almost every county agency comes to commissioners and tries to say, you know, here's what's working. Here's what we're doing right. Basically, here's here's why we deserve to be funded. Um, but at least for the past couple of years, when it's been time for public defender Amy Campanelli's turn, she's like, this system is messed up. You know, it's almost like she's grabbing commissioners by the shoulders and saying, you know, there are too many people in jail. Our, our justice system is built on a racist foundation. It needs to change. And I think that is really emblematic of not just Campanelli's famously kind of unapologetic in-your-face style, but it's also emblematic of just how different the public defender's office is from the rest of county government. Their job is to get in the way. It's to disrupt the machinations of the justice system that so much of the rest of the county is there to uphold. So, After six years, Campanelli's term at the helm of this $81 million office is coming to an end. On Thursday, she's going to be replaced by Sharon Mitchell Jr., who worked as a public defender for several years straight out of law school, but more recently uh, became a policy advocate as the executive director of the Illinois Justice Project. And there, he was a major proponent of this really earth-shaking criminal justice reform bill that was signed into Illinois law earlier this year that among other things, will eliminate the use of cash bail starting in 2023. And now that he's going to be a public defender, Mitchell is going to have a lot of power to channel and implement some of those changes, particularly uh, a new requirement that arrestees are going to have to now be given access to a lawyer within a few hours of their arrest. So I talked to Sharon Mitchell last Wednesday a little bit about his background, why this new law he advocated is so important, and what he is going to do as public defender to help put it into practice. So here is my interview with incoming Cook County Public Defender Sharon Mitchell. Incoming Cook County Public Defender Sharon Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on the Cloudcast. How are you? Thank you so much. So you were born in Chicago. Um, One thing that you said during your confirmation hearing in the county uh, board a couple weeks ago was that you were basically raised at Woodson Library on 95th Street. Um, I mean, tell, tell me more about that. What, what, tell me about, you know, the early part of your life um, on the far south side of Chicago. Yeah, I had the incredible privilege of being raised by um, Brenda Mitchell and, and Sharon Mitchell Sr. And my mom was a longtime librarian. Uh, she spent most of her career at Woodson. And I still have uh, incredibly fond mem- incredible fond memories of hanging out on the first floor in the children's section and playing Where in the World is Carmen San Diego and reading and uh, just being immersed uh, in um, just an incredible uh, environment. You know, it, it, it makes me think about kind of the concerns that we have when it comes to safety and think about what people are given. And I, I was given an incredible amount um, through my parents and, and, it, and it kind of directed me uh, to a great path. And, you know, it it was just an amazing time. You also talked at that hearing about going to Morgan Park High School. I did. You said that that was when uh, a lot of the reality of systemic racism in the criminal justice system really set in for you. Do you have, you know, an, an experience or a sort of memory that comes to mind when you really started to think like, man, this really isn't the way it should be? 
Yeah, you know, you, you watch kind of typical media and, and you see a very, I think, flat picture of the justice system. Um, one where, you know, the justice system is there to protect the good guys and put away the bad guys. And once you get a little bit older, especially as a, as a black man, you, you understood that, you understand that, you know, the system treats you uh, with an incredible amount of suspicion. And many times that suspicion can lead to uh, you know, inappropriate interactions and even violence. So, you know, growing up, you know, I, uh, especially as I got to the high school age, uh, it's, it's a shame, but you start to see the police as a, as a threat to your safety, you know? You know, I remember kind of learning how to drive and, and driving around my friends and, you know, not being scared of um, some quote unquote bad person coming to get us, you know, we were, we, we got nervous when the police were in our rearview mirror and, and we knew um, that things could go wrong if we did the wrong thing in a stop. So, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a sad awakening um, and it, it motivated me to really want to work in the justice space, um, especially noting the fact that I had those blessings of great parents and others didn't. Um, and, you know, without that leadership, you know, folks could get guided into a system, a justice system that, that wasn't built um, for their success. DePaul Law School. Yeah. You said the first year that you were there, I guess this would have been what, like 15, give or take years ago. Yep. Um, you said that you actually interned at that time. I did. In the Cook County Public Defender's Office. So I'm curious what your first impressions of the office were at that point. What was that experience like? Well, I mean, I idolized the, the lawyers, right? The, these were folks that just were facing this insurmountable task, right? There is, you know, the legal system is kind of this machine and it's built to, um, it, it's built to produce guilty pleas. Um, it, it's built to produce guilty verdicts. And you have these incredibly brave attorneys that stand uh, and really fighting in the trenches, um, trying to kind of gum up the works, right? Trying to get the system to make decisions that are based upon um, the facts and the constitution. Um, so I idolize those folks. Um, and I'm so happy that I get a chance to work with some of those folks that I idolize for their bravery um, and their conviction um, and their service to uh, the folks that look like me, that come from the neighborhoods that I come from. So when it comes time to, to graduate law school and a lot of up and coming lawyers would look around and, you know, there are a lot more lucrative paths to go down and maybe less stressful paths to go down than becoming a public defender. Was it a difficult decision for you or did it just sort of feel natural? Did you just have to get back to, you know, those same people you idolized that you're describing? Yeah, I wish it was, I could say it was a difficult uh, decision, but it wasn't. You know, I interned my first and second year. Uh, at the public defender's office, you know, that's where um, I had, you know, my, one of my first days I, I, I ran into a guy who was in lockup as a guy I went to school with. And we kind of had this incredible conversation. And I think back to like the amazement he had that, you know, somebody was on the other side of the bars uh, with a suit and tie on instead of, instead of a khaki jumpsuit. So I think very early on, I knew that I wanted to be a public defender, for, you know, um, I knew I wanted to work in the justice space, but, you know, having that experience, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. 
Um, so um, all throughout law school when people were applying for, you know, big firm jobs or, or thinking about other kind of you know, other sexy fields in the law, um, I knew I wanted to be a Cook County public defender and I was so blessed to be picked up uh, early on in my career. And at that point, again, I'm trying to make sure I have my dates right, but I think Abishi Cunningham would have been the Cook County public defender. Um, yep. Tell me a little bit about him, the way he ran things, what you remember about sort of his leadership. And then um, you were also there in 2015 when current Cook County public defender, um, who's going to be your predecessor, Cook, uh, Amy Campanelli, took over at that point in 2015. Um, did you feel like anything changed at that point? What was that transition like? So two questions there, I guess. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, what I really appreciated about uh, the change was that um, public defender Campanelli was not afraid uh, to speak out. Um, she was not afraid to talk about the injustices that uh, our clients face. Uh, she was not afraid to get us to the table when it comes to policy. Um, so that was certainly one of the biggest things um, I recognized, um, and one of the things I want to continue, I want to build upon um, as the public defender. So P.D. Campanelli was a, I think, pretty much a career-long public defender, um, you know, been in the role for, for decades. Uh, at a certain point, this would have been, um, again, correct me if I'm wrong, 2015 or 2016, you decided to make your way over to the advocacy space and joining the Illinois Justice Project. Uh, Talk a little about the Illinois Justice Project and why you decided to make that shift. Yeah, you know, like we talked about before, you know, the system is really built uh, to force pleas, right? There are things like jury taxes and pretrial incarceration. Um, the system really works to be efficient and, and produce, you know, quick results. And uh, the reality of that is I spent a lot of time you know, in, in plea negotiations. And, and, you know, I tried to be as, as zealous advocate, advocate as I can be, as zealous as I could be, uh, whether that we're talking about a jury trial or bench trial or talking about negotiations. And often when I was in those negotiations with state's attorneys, you know, you know, I'd be arguing for something or going back and forth or something. And they would say, you know, if, if you want it, if you, if you got a problem with this, go change the law, go to Springfield. And, and I guess I'm way too literal, literal of a person, uh, but that started becoming attractive to me. You know, I, I always felt like I was a public defender at heart, uh, whether I was actually at the public defender's office or whether I was at ILJP, but I decided to make that change to really change, uh, help to change, you know, with along with a, you know, army of other advocates in different spaces, uh, change the laws. I, I wanted to use my experience both in the courtroom, uh, but also as a black man growing up on the South side and, and living here um, to, to bring that perspective uh, to, to the conversation around justice and justice reform, public safety, violence prevention. Um, so I was blessed enough to, to get to Illinois Justice Project, which I think is one of the preeminent uh, justice organizations, reform justice reform spots uh, in the state. At that point, you became a pretty uh, big voice in the coalition to end money bond. A lot of that work culminated earlier this year with the passage of HB 3653, otherwise known as this massive sweeping criminal justice overhaul legislation that 
was really spearheaded by the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, passed the General Assembly sort of at the 11th hour in January during the lame duck session, was signed into law by Governor Pritzker in February, has been very controversial. It would do a lot of different things related to, you know, overhauling policing and sort of the way justice is administered across the state. Maybe the most important thing or the biggest change that it would make is the elimination of cash bail, which is bringing to fruition, you know, what the coalition and money bond was trying to do from the beginning, right? That would be starting in 2023. So I want to spend some time talking about this because it's gotten, this law has gotten a lot of criticism from county level officials in a lot of different parts of the state, maybe most loudly from next door in DuPage County saying, you know, this is going to put a lot of strain on county resources. It's going to deprive us of revenue from bail, going to create a need for, you know, more courtrooms or probation officers to handle all these people who are being discharged. So why do you feel confident that, you know, why are they wrong, at least when it comes to Cook County? Why is Cook County going to be well equipped to handle this huge shift in the way justice is done? Yeah, there are a few things there. I want to push back a little bit on the premise of the question that this thing is controversial. You know, there are certainly loud voices out there that have, you know, asked questions. But when you really think about what the people want, we saw, you know, this year, and people have been fighting for a very long time, but we saw, you know, what people have been talking about, you know, racial awakening, you know, protests all across the country, people from all corners of society, from all parts of this incredibly diverse state, you know, asking for change, demanding change, shutting stuff down. So this idea that, you know, this is a controversial move, I'd really kind of, you know, there are certainly some loud dissenters, but, you know, what does controversial mean? I don't know. You know, I would love to liken folks back to the polling, you know, done by our friends at ACLU of Illinois, you know, their public opinion research showed that, you know, nine out of 10 people supported efforts to hold police accountable. About 70% of voters agreed the reform is necessary now because of bias in policing. 66% of people would likely support a state legislator who signals a willingness to hold police more accountable. You know, they ask a number of questions about banning chokeholds and ask questions about use of force requirements. And we know that there is data from other parts of the country that talking about how people don't support the use of cash bond and they don't think the money should be the determining factor and whether somebody should be in jail or not. So I would push back on the premise of the question a little bit. I think that there are lots of people that are welcome these changes. As for the money issue, you know, this is going to be a massive change. And that's one of the reasons why the bill doesn't go into effect in 2023. It's certainly true that the justice system has relied so often on money to make decisions about who goes to jail and who doesn't. You know, Cook County, I think, has done an incredible job of slowing that down. Part of that has to do with the commitment of lots of stakeholders, starting from, you know, Chief Judge Evans, Chief Justice Burke, President Tony Preckwinkle, to Amy Campanelli, who's fought Cook County, you know, State's Attorney Kim Fox, even Sheriff Tom Dart has come out against the use of cash bond. But also it is the people. Coalition in Money Bond, Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice, there's been 
alignment that the use of money bond uh, is just not acceptable. And we, when we think about some analysis, you know, there, there was analysis that came out um, from DuPage County. I, I think that that analysis did a fair job of counting kind of the costs, um, but I'm not sure what, what it did in terms of the benefits, you know, what benefits financially are reaped by uh, not relying on the jails, not relying on pretrial incarceration. What savings do we get there? I also have to think about what savings the people deserve, what people, what, what savings do the people get? You know, there was a report done by our friends at Loyola University, and I will tell you, Alex, it is very, very difficult as a proud Illini to say anything good about Loyola University at this point in time. Uh, but there was a report from Loyola University, uh, Dave Olson, Don Steeman, uh, that talked about that, you know, $31 million had been pulled out of Cook County in a six-month span through the use of cash bond. So we really have to think about what savings there are, what savings are there are uh, for, to the people and, and what savings are there are um, when we're talking about a reduction uh, in, in, in pretrial incarceration. I do want to have you respond to one other criticism that has come up of this law because it really has gone along, it's been of a piece with criticism of the county's overall um, administration of pretrial bond for the past couple of years, this idea that we're making the county, we're making the state less safe by, um, you know, having, giving more people an opportunity to, to get out of jail um, and having them be, be uh, out and free. Um, what, I guess, what do, you, what, do you, what do you say when people bring that argument up? Well, I point to the data. You know, there's the chief judge's report, and, and, and I think the chief judge's report was pretty clear that violence isn't driven by people out on bond. There was critique of that data, and then we had the Loyola data, Loyola data which was a third-party report that showed the, the, the very same thing. You know, I think too often in the system, uh, we take anecdotes, we, we take individual stories, and we assume that those anecdotes are the rule, um, except uh, as opposed to the exception. Uh, the vast majority of people who are released uh, from pretrial, uh, after an arrest, come back to court. The vast majority of people who uh, uh, are on pretrial release are not rearrested for an offense. And even those who are rearrested for another offense are still presumed to be innocent and many times those cases are dropped. So we have this assumption that, you know, our violence problem is driven by folks who have been, you know, arrested and we have a, you know, a revolving door problem. But when we look at the data, uh, whether it's from the chief judge himself or whether it's from third party folks who don't really have a, you know, a dog in the fight, it is clear that, you know, that analysis just isn't true. And I, I would love for people to look at what's happened in New Jersey, you know, they ended their cash bond, they ended the cash bond effectively, uh, only have a handful of cash bonds in 2017, and they saw no spike in crime. And I'd point people to DC who uh, have been, you know, been using, you know, operating their pretrial system for decades uh, without money. I'd point people to the juvenile system, which doesn't use money. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, this isn't so much about kind of, um, you know, who gets released and who doesn't, that's certainly a part of it but it's how we make those decisions. And I think using money to make decisions about who should be in and who should be out is a completely broken model and doesn't work for fairness and safety. So it doesn't work for fairness and justice. And it doesn't work for safety either.
You know, one area where this new law really, I think, is going to intersect with the work of the Public Defender's Office is the provision that requires arrestees to be given contact with a lawyer within three hours of being arrested. Yeah, three calls within three hours. It seems like this could be a real test of the Public Defender's Office relatively new police station representation unit, which was, I think, a big part of P.D. Campanelli's legacy here. She launched that in 2018, and that oversaw thousands of public defender visits to individual police stations to directly get in contact with people who have been arrested around the county. That still, though, only represented, you know, two or three percent of all the people who were arrested. So now you're taking over. Tell me about your plans for the police station representation unit. Are you going to try to expand it, or what's next? Well, you know, I don't get started until April 1st, so give me a little bit of time to have some conversations with both staff members in that unit and leadership over that unit. But what I will say is that I believe that the police station unit was an incredible move, and I thank P.D. Campanelli and all that were involved. There was a vibrant, you know, advocacy piece around that, and people have been making those plans for almost decades. So I'm excited to get on board and kind of see how we can help that unit along. You know, we've got nine incredible attorneys working that beat and are really, you know, to me, it's about equity. You know, if a rich person gets arrested, right, or a person who has resources, you know, they're able to call their attorney quickly. They kind of apprise of their rights. But we know that there are folks that are less fortunate that don't have that opportunity. So when we think about how we want a justice system that works for all, not just some, not for just the wealthy few, this police representation unit, I think, is an exciting way to close the justice gap. I'm excited to continue that work. Yeah. Tell me more about, you know, why in practice it is so important for people who have been arrested to have that immediate contact with a lawyer before, you know, at the outset of the whole process where they go through the system. What kind of impact is that going to have in the aggregate, you think? Yeah, we know that it is a both, it's a constant practice for law enforcement to try to get a confession out of a person. When a person is scared, when a person is coming off of the street, when the person is at a place where they can't make proper decisions about what's going to happen to them going forward. And I think the state and the city has seen the carnage that wrongful convictions have placed on our system and our communities. And many of those were based off of a conviction, sorry, a confession garnered when somebody was in police custody. And they were in this kind of horrible situation where they felt they had to say what, you know, officers wanted them to say to save themselves. And we know that, you know, that story often goes badly. There is no coincidence that there are about 2,000 shows on Netflix talking about wrongful convictions. 
um, based a lot of times on, on this practice. So, you know, folks have a right to an attorney um, and we're really excited. I know uh, the, the entire office is, is really excited to take that right and take it from, you know, a theoretical right uh, to a real, a, a, a real practice. And that's what we think that the police station unit does. Last uh, July, Cook County commissioners voted um, 15 to 1 to approve the Justice for Black Lives resolution, which resolved to, over the long term, sort of draw the county's funding streams away from policing and away from incarceration and put it toward other areas like education, like housing, economic development. Um, you know, P.D. Campanelli was a big supporter of this. Where do you see the role of the public defender's office um, in that shift going forward? And how are you going to help kind of make that happen? Yeah, I, I think that we talk about criminal justice reform. Uh, we talk about laws. Uh, we talk about, um, you know, funding decisions. Uh, for me, I, 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 I look at an office that stands uh, at the front line, you know, stands in the trenches of, of, of fighting mass incarceration, fighting wrongful convictions, fighting permanent punishments. And, and I believe that uh, our office uh, uh, should be a part of that shift. You know, we uh, uh, need to be funded in a manner that allows for us to seek, liber seek liberation for folks that um, should not be incarcerated and should not be uh, burdened by, you know, the, the permanent punishment of a felony conviction. Um, so I'm excited, you know, our organization, um, I, 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 you know, I, I'm certainly uh, worked with a lot of organizations that were very supportive of that. And I'm excited to see how we can kind of shift that conversation, or not shift that conversation, but include uh, adequate funding for public defenders, um, you know, as a part of that shift. Why is adequate funding for public defenders going to be an important part of that, of actualizing that kind of drawback from punitive systems? Yeah, because the public defender's office are the folks that are out there fighting for against mass incarceration, right? Uh, having a public defender's office that's well-funded means having a public defender um, ready to fight charges, to, 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 to prove people's freedom, to get them out of the system. You know, we are talking, uh, when we talk about the, the Black Lives Matter movement, when we talk about mass incarceration, we talk about changing the system. Uh, part of that is, is, is changing laws. Uh, part of that is certainly budget decisions. But part of that is getting people the heck out of the system. Um, part of that is not being burdened by a felony conviction. Part of that is having the right uh, to a jury and a trial and be able to uh, adequately uh, enact your uh, the rights given to you by the Constitution. And, and that's what folks do with the public defender's office. So I, I think it's an important uh, piece of the conversation. You mentioned earlier that one of Amy Campanelli's real marks on the office was to, I think, really, really grow the role of the office as a kind of engine of policy change, right? She was really also there on the front lines advocating for HB 3653 and other kinds of, um, you know, county level pretrial bond reform efforts. You said also during your um, confirmation hearing, you, you want to kind of keep that going, that you often, you want the office to be on a sort of dual track where Yes, it's it's fulfilling its its main responsibility to to defend people who don't otherwise have representation, but also to to push for bigger, you know, systemic policy changes. Um, some people might look at that and and say, 
you know, this office is already overworked, underfunded. Why don't you just focus on your constitutional responsibility to defend people? Why also try and, you know, change laws, affect bigger change at the same time? You know, we have, you know, you know, we've come into this racial reckoning, right? We've come to this point where people understand that the criminal justice system is broken. There is no, I think, office, there is no person that is more in tune and, 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 and really more educated about the specifics of that brokenness than public defenders, right? Uh, we have the vast majority of narratives, the vast potential for the vast majority of data, uh, the vast majority of stories of oppression. Um, so I think we will be doing our communities a disservice if we were not a part of this discussion and we were not helping to craft the development of these reforms. Um, you know, left to its own devices, the system um, will work in a manner that does not benefit communities. And um, when we're talking about these reforms, I don't know who's better suited than the public defender's office uh, to, to help usher those things in a correct way. Now, let's let's be clear. Uh, we need to be great at our day job as well, right? We need to be able to go into court and we need to be able to defend people's uh, you know, constitutional rights. Uh, but again, I stand strongly, strongly uh, in favor of looking at that as a dual role. We have a dual role. We have one role which is to, you know, you know, provide zealous advocacy for the folks assigned to us. But I believe that we have another role of being a part of progressive social change. And, you know, that has been my MO for a very long time. And that's what I've talked about uh, during this process. And, and that's what I believe um, um, I, I'm going to hope to move this office uh, more down that path. So, What's next? You dedicated a lot of your career to ending money bond in Illinois. You've, you've, in a sense, uh, you know, checked that box off. What are the next laws that need to change, county, state, nationally? I work in collaboration, right? That's what I've done in in, in the past. Um, you know, working at Illinois Justice Project Coalition in money bond. You know, I, I very much value getting people around the table and thinking about uh, where we should go next. So. You know, taking on an office with 700 people, uh, you know, about 400 attorneys, I think it's important for me to listen, um, for me to, you know, gather the stories and gather the data uh, and, and figure out, you know, make a decision as an office about where we need to go next. Now, we have a couple bills that we're working on that we feel very strongly about, uh, one bill on immigration, another bill uh, around, uh, you know, child protection. This is in Springfield you're talking about? In Springfield, yeah. Uh, but for me, you know, I haven't I haven't been in, in the role yet. Uh, but when I get there, I'm very much going to value uh, listening and, and hearing from folks and kind of deciding as a group where you want to go. It's not just about kind of what I want to do. I have ideas, um, but I would be being disrespectful um, if I didn't spend a lot of time uh, listening to what folks who have been doing this for years, doing this for decades, feel needs to be the next change. The public defender's office, like a lot of different offices, faced a, a pretty tough budget the past year. It was um, pretty much frozen from the previous year. And now the county is in line for almost a, a billion dollars from the American Rescue Plan passed by Congress a couple weeks ago. And a lot of county agencies are now going to be going to 
you know, the Preckwinkle administration and saying, here's the piece of that that we want. Here's what we need to really get our office, our department, our agency back to where it needs to be. So what can you tell me about what resources you're going to be asking for from commissioners? Well, you know, again, I start on April 1st, so a couple days away. Sure, you've been thinking about this. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. But again, I think that's a conversation that we need to have with senior staff about where exactly we want to go. You know, if you look at the percentage of the county budget, you look how much the public defender's office represents in that county budget. It's certainly not a very large number percentage-wise. And I think certainly we are in line, especially given the moment that we've seen where millions of people hitting the streets demanding change. I don't know how you can get real change without empowering the public defender's office to do its job. But, you know, we will be having conversations internally about specifically what asks we're going to be making. And I'd love to come back and tell you what we decided on. Understanding that you haven't started yet, what can you tell me about what other new ground you want to break with this office? What do you want the Cook County Public Defender's Office to be doing that it maybe hasn't been doing before? Well, you know, I talked a lot about this process kind of really reevaluating with a fresh approach, you know, how we do the things, how we do the things that we have always done and whether those things are the best way of attacking the situation. So whether we're talking about how we collect data, whether we talk about how we train, how we advocate and how we interact with the community, I'm super excited to get in and really think about how those core competencies work in the office and whether there are ways that we can, you know, best attack those situations. You know, also think about these two massive changes that we have to prepare for and thinking the best way to do that. And when I say those two changes, I'm talking about the opening of the courts. Currently, you know, that there's going to be a rush of cases that we need to deal with. And we've got to deal with them in a way that is both best for our clients, obviously, and also protects the safety of our attorneys and all our support staff, our investigators, everybody in the office. And thinking about how we are going to help to implement the changes proposed and ratified by the Safety Act, right? So again, talking about the end of cash bond is 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 really turning upside. You know, really, it's a it's a giant change, um, and the Public Defender's Office, along with his other county partners, are, are going to have to figure out how we're going to put these changes in place. So those are two things that we'll be thinking deeply about, and, and excited to get to it. What else do you want people to know about you? What what else do you want people to know about um, Cook County Public Defenders? There is not a better group of trial attorneys in the city's state, country, county um, than the attorneys that, that that work in day in, day out in this office. They are some of the finest attorneys uh, that you could get. Um, money can't buy the experience, the quality uh, that these attorneys possess. Um, so I, like I said before, I am in awe, and I've always been in awe of the skill. And I, as a public defender, uh, just want to put those folks who go in day in and day out and, and, and face odds that are enormous but are successful every day. You know, I want to empower them 
to you know help the folks that look like me and everybody who is 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 assigned a public defender. Um, I'm just proud to take this job on, and I'm proud to to have folks be heard and and listen and, and really think together how we can you know make this job how we can be most effective at this job. Last question: I want to know who you got behind after uh, Illinois got knocked out of the tournament. I will say I, I am still in shock. Uh, I am. Um, Everybody that knows me, about half the things I wear is orange. Um, so after the loss, I've basically blocked out the tournament. The tournament does not exist to me. Uh, not only am I an Illinois grad, but I'm also a Morgan Park grad, Morgan Park High School. And two of our players from Morgan Park High School are on Illinois, so I'm doubly crushed. So I will say that I, I don't, you know, I, I've been watching the women's tournament. Um, I'm super excited about some of the local schools, Northwestern, Iowa, and all of them. Uh, following them, uh, but other than that, I, 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 the men's tournament, I'm just, ugh, I'm done. I'm looking forward to the sky season. I'm looking forward to the White Sox. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Sharon Mitchell Jr. is going to be Cook County Public Defender in charge of that entire office starting on April 1st. He will serve a six-year term in that role. Thanks so much for for coming on here and good luck. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. That's it for this episode of The Cloudcast. Thanks again to Sharon Mitchell for speaking with us. This episode was produced by me, Alex Nitkin, and edited by Joel Ebert. We will be back in two weeks. 